It's good to see all of you today. And again, I want to speak my blessing over all of you who are fathers, grandfathers, and those of you that look forward to a day when you will become fathers, that may God bless you and anoint you and uh, use you as a wonderful example and role model of what fathering is all about. And that through your life, people will see something of the father heart of God uh, in and through you. So thank you for picking up the theme today, Silas, on fathers. I'm not specifically speaking about fathers, but um, there will be some kind of link, I suppose, because uh, what I want to share today, I I'll just share my screen. I've just got a little picture here. Um, this is what I want to um, speak on, if I can, here we go, about being uh, dressed for battle. Okay, dressed for battle is what we are going to be thinking about uh, today. And I was interested to note that um, Brian said he went into the army, I think. Um, whether that was a kind of national service, I don't know, in terms of uh, South African law. Um, we've got yeah. Blessing, who currently serves in the, um, the army, I believe it is. And then we've got Sanjay, who's an army veteran from the uh, time in the RAF. So we're in the presence of uh, some current soldiers, some old soldiers, and um, those that have experienced uh, the military. So I want to think about being dressed for battle. And um, we're going to look into the passage that Phil read to us uh, just a moment ago. I remember in my first year at uh, senior school, when I was 11 years of age, I was introduced to boxing. It was an all boys school, and this was an important part of our sporting curriculum. We would actually have an annual boxing tournament when parents would attend a, a finals evening and watch their children knock each other about. Um, we had a proper boxing ring, uh, we wouldn't wear any protective headgear. Uh, we wore regulation brown lace-up gloves. Um, there were no such things as gum shields and invariably the blood would flow. Um, it was intimidating, but it was also exciting because you would cheer your mates on to victory. And it was a bit like a schoolboy's gladiator competition. Well, thankfully, by the second year of senior school, uh, this activity had been removed from the curriculum and we took up healthier sporting games. But one of the things about boxing is that it taught us not to be wimps and it promoted confidence and courage. It may well have been the fact that most of my, well, all of my teachers were former army men. Uh, they would have fought in the Second World War. And so they knew what it was to be tough. And I guess they thought it was their duty to teach their prodigies what toughness was all about by introducing them to boxing. Well, um, we're going to take a teaching series from this week, which I've entitled Dressed for Battle, uh, based around Paul's words in Ephesians 6 that we just had read to us. 
And so over the next few weeks, we are going to examine the six pieces of armor that Paul indicated are very important to us as we live our Christian lives. We're living in times where self-defense classes are becoming quite common. Um, sadly, because of the trends that we find within our society. But have you ever heard of spiritual defense lessons? Um, do they actually exist? I've never heard of anybody hiring our church building to teach spiritual defense. Um, I think there have been occasions where there have been people teaching self-defense classes, but um, what about spiritual defense classes? Um, the Apostle Paul repeatedly reminds us that the Christian life is a battle. Now, in writing to the church at Corinth, those young Christians, listen to the number of times he uses phrases that speak about a battle or fight. He says, I run with purpose in every step. I am not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And then again in Corinthians, he says, God's power is working in us. We use weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and in the left hand for defense. Again in Corinthians, he says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. And then in writing to Timothy, he says this, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well the Lord's battles. And then again, he says to Timothy, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And again to Timothy, he says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then those famous words that Paul spoke right at the end of his life, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. So Paul clearly recognized that the Christian life following Jesus is like being in a battle. And as an introduction to this series, I just want to set the scene so that we can understand what it means to be equipped for the battle, what the battle is really like, and how we need to behave in this spiritual battle. And Paul reminds us that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of us who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. If you want a comfortable, easy life as a Christian, well, there is no such thing. If you are seriously going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and live the kind of life that he has called us to live, then we will be persecuted. We will face battles. The enemy will never, ever get off of our backs. And so the ultimate battle that we are facing is that of bringing other people to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
Satan will do all that he possibly can to stop people coming to know the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the biggest battle that we face. Just listen to a couple of verses Janice is going to read from the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Just listen to what that says. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Yeah, you may have heard that phrase before, snatched from the burning. And I remember growing up being challenged about the responsibility we have as Christians to witness, to share our faith, and as it were, to snatch people from the burning fire of hell. Um, people often joke about hell. People often minimize it, but the Bible makes it very clear that hell is a fearful, terrifying, awful place. And we as Christians have that responsibility, as it were, to snatch people from the burning of hell that is what hell is all about. That is our responsibility because Satan wants to rob, steal and destroy and deny every single person he possibly can to hit of the truth of the love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're in that battle. We're in the battle for souls. We're in the battle to seek to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the battle to bring the hope and the love of Jesus Christ to our broken world. And Satan will constantly fight and contest our actions in every way that he possibly can. So just three things to share this morning by way of introduction to this series. And then in the next six weeks, we look at each of those individual pieces of armor that Paul speaks about and see how we can use them in the battle that we face in living for Jesus Christ. The first thing that we need to understand is what I'm calling our preparation for battle, our preparation for battle. On one occasion, Jesus was talking about the cost of being one of his disciples. And he was talking about it just to remind people that if you are gonna follow me, Jesus says, that then there's a price tag. You can't live a cheap Christian life, in other words. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, and he put it graphically, he says, you've got to take up your cross. In other words, it might well mean that you face death in following me. And he used this analogy where he said, if someone wants to start building a house, then first of all, he sits down to see, have I got enough money? Rather than getting halfway through building a house and finding I haven't got enough money left to complete it, he said he would look rather stupid. And in Luke chapter 14, verse 31 and 32, Jesus then continues this same analogy on a warfare footing. He says, have you ever heard of a commander who goes out to war without first sitting down with strategic planning to determine the strength of his army to win the war against a stronger opponent? So Jesus used that analogy to tell us if you're going to follow me, you've got to be prepared. You've got to weigh up what it involves. You've got to make right preparations in your commitment to following me. 
And Paul shows us here in Ephesians 6 that there are two aspects of preparation that we must make for this spiritual battle. First of all, he says in verse 10, be strong, be strong. You cannot go into any battle being spiritually weak. We must get spiritually fit. Now, let's just think about this in the natural. How fit would you think you are naturally speaking? I remember a number of years ago, Sanjay telling me that when he was preparing to go into the RAF, wanting to become a chaplain, the amount of physical preparation he had to do, he had to lose quite a bit of weight. And I don't say that to um, embarrass him, but um, you had to be physically fit to apply and you had to pass a fitness test before you could even begin to enrol in any military service. So naturally speaking, how fit are you? Let me ask you some questions. Can you stand on one leg for one minute without toppling over? Gets harder as you get older, but you might like to try it and have a laugh together. I don't know, but um, can you do it? You youngsters, <laughs> it's okay, but stand on one leg for one minute. Could you do five sit-ups laying on the floor, if need be somebody holding your ankles and then lifting your torso to a sitting up position? Could you do five of them? Could you run 100 meters without stopping? Or could you plank for a minute? Do you know what planking is? It's lying on the ground with uh, on your toes and resting on your elbows uh, like press-ups, but holding yourself in that position for a minute. They call it planking. Our daughter does it. She says it kills. I've never tried it, but apparently it's another exercise. Could you hold in each hand a five kilo weight and hold it above your head for two minutes? Um, <clears throat> sorry to depress you, but uh, little exercises that will determine how fit we are. Well, Natural fitness, of course, is important, but what about translating that into spiritual fitness? How strong are you spiritually? Could you pray on your knees for 15 minutes without running out of something to pray about? Could you stand with your hands raised for five minutes in an attitude of worship? Could you sit down and in one sitting, read the whole gospel of Mark, 16 chapters, without a break. Could you verbally praise God for five minutes without running out of things to say to him after 30 seconds? Are you daily being filled with the Holy Spirit? You see, these things are tremendously important for our spiritual fitness. The word in the Greek to be strong is endunamu. En meaning in, dunamis meaning power. It's the same word Jesus used in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's the Greek word dunamis, it's the word from which we get our word dynamite. And to be strong literally is a work of the Holy Spirit, but we have to maintain our spiritual strength and live disciplined lives 
so that we remain strong. So that's firstly and foremost an important part of our preparation. We've got to be strong, says the Apostle Paul. But secondly, he says we've got to be armed. He says, put on all of God's armour, Ephesians 6 verse 11. This is an instruction, not a suggestion. Now, do you remember the battle of David with Goliath? When Goliath faced David, Goliath was armed to the hilt. He had a coat of mail and uh, he had a shield bearer. And uh, if you read in the scriptures, there's very detailed descriptions of the armor that Goliath dressed himself in. Goliath had natural armor, which was visible. David had spiritual armor that was invisible. Let me say that again. Goliath had natural armor that was visible. David had spiritual armor that was invisible. That's why uh, Goliath mocked David. He said, you know, am I a dog that you send a little boy to come out after me? Goliath could not see the spiritual armor that David was clothed in when he went against Goliath. We're going to learn about this spiritual armor in the coming weeks how to understand it, how to use it, how to recognize the importance of it, so that we are totally prepared, not unprepared, but totally prepared for the spiritual battles we are called to fight for the honor of the name of Jesus. So our preparation is we've got to be spiritually strong and we've got to know how to use the armor that God has provided for us. But secondly, not only our preparation, but our perception of this battle, our perception. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation of the Bible, he makes it very clear what this battle is all about when he um, writes uh, Ephesians 6 verse 12. He says this, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, this battle. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Don't ever minimize the Christian battle that we face because we've chosen to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recognize it's a spiritual battle because in verse 12 of Ephesians 6, Paul says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Do you ever wake up in the morning feeling heavy or depressed for no reason? Do you ever feel that there are some days when everything is going against you? <clears throat> or maybe you've had a great church service or you've been away to a great conference or you've been in some great meeting or you've just had wonderful fellowship with Christian friends and then the next day, all that joy evaporates for no apparent reason at all. These are some of the symptoms of the spiritual battle that we face on a daily basis. I'm sure you can all recognize some of those symptoms. You will have experienced them at different times. You will wonder why sometimes the joy of the Lord is not there. <coughs> And yet there is no reason why you shouldn't be feeling joyful. It's not as if you've had a terrible tax bill or anything like that. There are days when we are spiritually oppressed. 
That's why it says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, if I remember, he has given me a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There is a battle that we are constantly facing and some days it hits us and it seems to come out of nowhere and we wonder why. These are symptoms. And Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he put it like this. He says, why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day that I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as a guarantee, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beasts at Ephesus? They're not literal beasts. They're the people who contested and, and fought against him. Do you think I was acting heroic, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Not in your life. For me, it's resurrection. Resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say and the way I live. In another place, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Whatever battle I face, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his resurrection power. I will live for him in this spiritual battle, whatever it costs. This is a spiritual battle against unseen forces. So don't be surprised when you have times when you, you feel heavy, you feel down, you feel discouraged when everything goes against you. That is the enemy coming against you in an unseen way in this unseen battle that we constantly face. It is a spiritual battle. But also Paul reminds us that it's a strategic battle because he says we fight against the strategies of the devil. Greek word for strategies is methodia, which literally means craft, deceit, and cunning. Now, Satan used all of his craftiness in the Garden of Eden when he came and tempted Eve over the fruit that God had said she and Adam were not to touch. He was very subtle. He was very deceitful. He says, you won't die. You know, you're not going to drop dead. It's not a poisonous piece of fruit if you eat it. That won't happen. You'll actually get knowledge. It will do you good. It will amazingly enhance your understanding and well-being. He deceived Eve terribly. And Adam stood there knowing what was going on. He was a weak man. And he didn't prevent his wife from touching the fruit that God had clearly forbidden him not to take. Satan. He'll be a charmer. He'll be a deceiver. He's a liar. He is one who will try all manner of ways to trap us if he possibly can. And he will make you think that people aren't interested in knowing about Jesus. He will make you think that, well, if you tell your work friends and your colleagues and your neighbors that you're a Christian, well, they'll think less of you or they might ridicule you. So, so why, why bother? Don't, don't go down that road. If you tell them you're a Christian, he'll remind you and say, well, if you if you speak about your faith to people, you might lose your friends and you've got some good friends that you enjoy socializing with. But but don't go there. Don't talk to them about your personal faith because it could compromise your friendship. Satan will craftily whisper all manner of things into our thinking to try and silence us 
from sharing with others the good news of the love of God through Jesus Christ. Satan will tell you, you don't need to worry about yourself, worry yourself about telling others. Someone else will do it. Someone else will tell that person about Jesus. You don't need to worry. You just stay silent. You pass them by. A little bit like the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite. You just pass by. Someone else will take care of that person. And Satan will talk to us in those subtle, deceptive kind of ways and do all that he possibly can, use every strategy that he can to tell us not to engage. He'd even use it to say, well, why turn up to church on a Sunday? You know, you've got other things to do. There are other priorities. You, you've got to prepare for the coming week. You've got work ahead of you. It's a busy week. And Satan will do all that he can to trip us up and to try and suggest that we don't even gather together as Christians on a Sunday. He'll use all manner of means because that's what he's like. He's deceptive. He's cunning. He's crafty. He's sly. And the spiritual battle that we face is strategic. And that's why we need to be on our guard. We have to have our ears and our eyes, spiritually speaking, open to all that the devil would seek to bring because he is a subtle cheat and a liar and a deceiver. So our perception of this battle needs to be clear that it's spiritual, it's strategic, and need, we need to be alert at all times. Preparation, perception, but one final thing just to bring to you as we draw to a conclusion, it's this, our position in battle, our position. You will know that in all sports, there is a position you need to adopt if you are going to play well. If you've been watching the Euros, you will know that uh, often goals are scored because certain people are out of position in the game. They're not defending or being where they should be in the field of play. Position is important in sports. Your position in boxing, in golf, in cricket, in football, in basketball, in netball, in darts, in snooker, in running, in cycling, in skiing. Position is very, very important. If you adopt the wrong position, you will play a bad shot. You will miss the target. You will get hit where it hurts. And if you're on skis going downhill, you will not be able to stop at the bottom of the hill if you haven't assumed the right position. So what should our position be in terms of this battle? Well, let me just remind you that we fight from a position of victory. Can you remember that? When David came against Goliath, he came against Goliath from a position of victory. He says, you come against me with sword and shield, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. David knew he could not lose the battle against this giant because God was on his side. We fight our battle from a position of victory because Jesus won the battle on the cross. Yes? So we fight from a position of victory, and we must keep that in mind at all times. But Paul gives us some important positional stances that are necessary here. The first thing he says, we've got to stand. In verse 11, 13, and 14. 
We have to stand up and fight. This is not an armchair negotiation with the devil. You stand. And he says, at the end of it, you'll still be standing. Okay, those that fall on the battlefield are finished. And they often use that phrase in Remembrance Day. We remember those who are fallen. When you are fallen, you are defeated. Paul says, we stand in this battle. And when you've done everything else, you keep standing. Why? Because Jesus has given us the victory. So it's a battle where we stand. But also in verse 13, it's a battle where we resist. He says, you resist the devil. Very interesting Greek word, that word for resist in the Greek New Testament. It is aster, as antihistamine. Now, that might register something in your mind, certainly in Pam's mind. Okay, anti means against and histamy means to cause to stand. Now, you've all heard of antihistamine, haven't you? It's the same word. Antihistamine puts a block on histamine. So when you get stung by a wasp or a bee or something or whatever, you get the antihistamine cream, you rub it on and it blocks histamine that causes the discomfort and the pain, etc. And hopefully it helps you get better. It literally resists what has been injected into your body by that nasty little insect. It's interesting, the word in the Greek for resist is antihistamine. Spiritual lesson there. We are resisting, we are blocking all that the enemy throws against us. And that's as we look at this armor that Paul says we've got to take on, spiritually speaking, you'll understand all of it is defensive apart from one, the sword of the spirit. But it is there to block, it is there to resist. And Paul says elsewhere in James, no, not Paul, James says, God opposes the proud, but he favours the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. A humble Christian is a powerful Christian. A humble Christian is an overcoming Christian. A humble Christian is a threat to the devil. As we resist him out of a place of humility of who we are in Christ, then he will flee from us. And the scripture says, as we come close to God, God will come close to us. So that's an important part in our position, to stand, to resist, but also Paul says we need to pray. He says, pray in the spirit at all times, verse 18, and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You've heard of spiritual warfare, haven't you? Often we think of spiritual warfare as engaging in intense and intercessory prayer. It's important. And there are times when this battle is won on our knees through prayerful intercession and constantly crying out to God. You read in the scripture in Revelation about a group of people, they overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. We have to use all means to fight against the enemy, but prayer is one of our biggest and greatest weapons. And Paul says, continue to pray in the spirit at all times. And then finally, our position is to be awake. Be awake. He says, stay alert. Don't ever think 
the enemy will give you a holiday. Satan will never say, well, I'll give you a week off this week. So, you know, you won't have to fight. You won't have to battle. He never has a holiday. Satan never takes a vacation. He will never back off in the fight against us. So we have to stay alert. Jesus said on one occasion to his disciples just before the cross, he said, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. We have to stay spiritually alert at all times, and that can be difficult. It can be challenging on some occasions, but that's the position we need to adopt. So we have to be prepared. We have to have the right perception about this battle. We have to have the right position in the battle. And uh, John MacArthur says this, winning against Satan is not a question of claiming some kind of imagined authority over him. We simply need to pursue righteousness, avoid sin, and stand firm in the truth. Well, I hope over the next few weeks, we're going to have a, 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 an interesting time of discovery as we just think about what these weapons mean. And hopefully it will just strengthen us as we live for Jesus on a daily basis.